Now, um, this morning, um, I'm delighted that um, there's a book called The Road to Riverdance. Who the hell could have written that? You? And um, with, with all the books that are, that are out at the moment, and it's always saying to yourself, well, what, what, where will this take me? Or what, what sort of route will that take me? Well, the first thing is clearly Riverdance. So that brings us into Eurovision. And it's a wheeling. Well, where am I going to go with that except say good morning to Mr. Bill Whelan this morning? Good um, morning, Martin. It's lovely to see you. And you too. It's lovely to see you. And looking so well. Uh, and, and, and obviously excited about the fact that you have this book um, out at last. How long did you spend doing it? I probably wrote it over a period of about six or seven months. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I got up every morning at about six and I, I worked till one o'clock in the day. And then I did a little bit of editing in the afternoon. And that was it. And I did it every day, kind of. And, and in the evening, I would take whatever I'd written into the kitchen and I would read it to Denise. Lovely. And, and, yeah. uh, and that's the way I did it. And then uh, Lily put expressed an in, in interest in it and they assigned an editor to me, Jen Brady, who was terrific. And, uh, you know, I would send her stuff and she would come back and, you know, suggest positioning certain stories in different places in the book, sure. which was very helpful. And um, yeah, it's uh, about six or seven months. And then, then, of course, it went through all the various readings of, of course. lawyers and of course. stuff. Of course. Yeah, I got to that section <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah, well, but, but do you know, what? You, isn't it a great feeling? I, I, you know, I've I, I just seen, when you put it down on paper and, and memories start to come back and you start to remember, um, I, I, like I, right at the beginning where you talk about your folks, did yeah. you do it by hand or did you do it into a machine? Or? Uh, I typed it. You typed it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but all that must have come back. Your dad, Dave, and, and your mum, Irene. Yeah, must have been amazing to, 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 to remember remember what he was like and that he was quite the, the, the artistic individual. Yeah, he was, he, they were both extraordinary in their own way. Um, you know, they married quite late in life um, and I didn't turn up until my father was 50. Right. So, you know, I had a, a slightly older dad and mum than everybody else. Um, but, uh, you know, what was interesting about the book is, yeah, memory did come back. Suddenly things popped out of the memory. It was like you were opening doors and stuff was in there that you'd kind of forgotten about or never even had reason to recall yeah. for maybe 50 years. And here it was. And uh, I also had, you know, for some of it, I had a great uh, researcher, Julia Kennedy, and she she went off and found out things about my my father's family, particularly, which I didn't realise, which I didn't know. And particularly my father's and his father's political activities yes. and his family. Yeah, yeah the Ofuelons. The Ofuelons, yeah, in Limerick. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were originally a Dublin family, but my grandfather left Dublin because he was... Uh, he ran slightly foul of the authorities and uh, as a young fellow he spent time in a place I didn't even know existed, um, a, a, a jail in um, in Harold's Cross, which I never even knew was there, it's gone now, uh, but he was, there was a juvenile detention centre and he was involved in politics all his life um, and, and moved to Limerick and got a job in Limerick. <clears throat> and Julia dug up some stuff that was really astonishing. And you didn't then, know any of this? Well, I didn't know some of it. I knew, yeah. I knew bits of it. You know, we often talked about this, the kind of um, omerta that existed of those people who were involved in political activity around the War of Independence, yes, yeah, the yeah. Tans War, yes. you know, all of that. Well, it was brother but against brother in some ways. It case, was, so. and, and people didn't speak about it, you know. Yeah. They just didn't yeah. speak about it, and they didn't want to speak about it. So my father never, even though the house was filled with all kinds of 
of evidence of, shall we say, his political leanings. Yeah. We, we never sat down and talked about it. Again, it was because, you know, when I was starting to wake up and look around me, which would be in my teens. Sure. You know, my dad was already uh, 60 odd years of yes. age. He died when he was 72. You yes. Know. Yeah. He died young. He died young. He did. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's interesting that that uh, and we talk about music and I want to play a piece just to illustrate. But um, there's a story in the book. The book, by the way, is called The Road to Riverdance. I mentioned that at the beginning. There's a Wurlitzer organ in your house. Yeah. Now, I have friends <laughs> and there might be a, an old battered piano or yeah. an accordion. <laughs> but like, a Wurlitzer organ is a serious piece of equipment. Yeah. How did that end up in your family home? Uh, McCullough Piggott's, I think. Were the, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the source. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think my father had, had a curious you know, range of, of uh, interests, like music. Uh, Photography was a thing. Photography. Yeah. Uh, we, he built a small cinema in the house, actually. Uh, and we looked at, you know, Charlie Chaplin films, which he rented every Saturday. They'd come down the train from Dublin and we'd look at them. Uh, you know, the, and he was interested in, in uh, art, but a lot of Irish history, old Irish history, yeah, yeah. Uh, painting. And... Uh, yeah, he was an extraordinary man. I never knew how he got things because we, you know, we had a newsagent shop. You had a shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't exactly, you know, a, a money maker of enormous right, proportions. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, yeah, he always, you know, there was a thing. Everyone bought things on higher purchase in those days. So he would buy and you know, we had a nice piano. And an organ. My mother was a terrific pianist. Yes. And, and that's uh, where it comes from. That's, uh, yeah. Well, the, the, the music, the I was surrounded by music yeah. growing up. And uh, both his interests and hers. Hers was kind of the classical end. He was very broad. I mean, I heard Bill Haley first because Good. of my father. Yeah. And uh, jazz, um, Duke Ellington, Johnny Hodges. You so know, all, all that influenced your head. It did, All that yeah. influenced your yeah. head. Because it had to. Does yeah, it had to. exactly. Um, I gave you a single a long time ago, but we kept a copy just in case you try and destroy it <laughs> from uh, Mr. Drummond and Mr. Whelan's work. Yeah. Uh, the band called Stack, You Put the Love in My Heart. I just want to play a little piece of it just to give people um, sure. just, uh, just another angle to you, just for the laugh. Here okay. it is.
that's uh, you put the love in my heart, which was uh, uh, CBS, was it or Epic or somebody you had? To, to it was. Well, there was a, yeah. Was it? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. In uh, fact, um, Des Moore tells a story where there was a Noel Pearson was managing. We had a band, a four-piece band: Des Moore, Desi Reynolds, John Drummond, and myself. And we wrote our own material as well as covered stuff by everyone from Steely Dan through to all kinds of artists and jazz stuff, everything. Um, but there's a taxi driver was given Des Moore a lift out here to RTE actually one day and uh, and he said there was a newspaper report that we had signed a big deal with CBS Records which was probably it's not quite true but anyway <laughs> he, he said to Des he said oh yeah I see that crowd uh, the, the, the headline said stack four uh, lands major record contract and no Pearson talking about it and uh, he said yeah I see that crowd uh, stays four after making a lot of money <laughs> of course we didn't make uh, you know it was it was um, but but that single actually um, you put the love of my heart was written by John yeah. and um, and we entered it uh, in the national song contest and uh, and I wrote another song called all fall down which Gemma Craven sang and we got uh, the glorious position of second and third did you? in the song contest. Colin Wilkinson, he got, ah, he, did. he won it with Born, Born to, to Sing. sing. Yeah, exactly. To sing. Right. Yeah, we yeah. used to call it Born to Win. And uh, anyway, he yeah, won. He did. But actually, we were his backing band as well. So, Are you serious? Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a... Oh, uh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. But because uh, your, your, your relationship with Eurovision is, uh, is quite phenomenal. Um, I know you worked in the shop. You sold, you, you did your bit in the shop as yeah, well for yeah, everybody. Yeah. When, when, when you take that, you were writing songs as well there's a guy called Neil Niall Connery Niall Connery yeah, yeah, yeah one of your mates so you were writing songs as, as a young fella oh yeah so like the music yeah. was in you from, from being very young yeah and you were in school and the Jesuits and all of that yeah but there you were writing songs and studying obviously because you ended up with a law degree you ended up in UCD I did you, yeah. You, yeah I did so you were obviously kind of you see this is where we part waves as Whelan's I, I wasn't very studious mm. but I love music but yeah. you, you you took as a fellow said you took to the books as well as everything else. Yeah, I'd go easy with that now, uh, yeah. Marty. I, I took to the books because I had to, right. but I would hardly have been described as like the, the most assiduous law student in my year. Okay. Okay. So I, I often had to because there were certain errors made in early exams. I had to repeat them, but, that but I did get through it. I know it did. Yes, yeah. And, yes. and you know, it's amazing when you reflect on that. What college was like in when I went there, which is the first year in my first year in college was 1968. And the whole attitude of student, the student body, and we were in Earlsford Terrace, we're now the That's National the, Concert Hall, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have to have a secondary career in the same building. But um, yeah, it was the, the attitude of students was very much different to what it is now. You know, people are a lot more focused, I think. Uh, in our day, it was it was more it was a more of a casual thing, sure. and yeah. um, not saying. Uh, and that was a pity in some way. Um, but nevertheless, you got a very broad education. And it was right at a time when there was a lot of student activity, riots, occup occupations. You know, that was a, a really a disturbing time, actually. Uh, particularly, I felt that when I came from Limerick, you know, which was I grew up in a fairly stable background. And you come up to uh, to Dublin and suddenly there are marches and sit-ins and the Gardaí are doing 
you know, batten charges on students sure. and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was quite, quite upsetting and quite challenging, but very good because it made you think about things. For sure. But I mean, you'd come from this very stable background, your mum and your dad and you. And, and always when you're, and the only child is always the, the centre of attention, as we know. Listen, I want to talk about, I have to, we were talking about Limerick and, and as, as opposed to Dublin and stuff. Um, I want to talk about Richard Harris and, and that great story. Yeah. Um, you're here. Was that with Niall Connery, your pal? Yeah, yeah. You're here, and and you've written the you've written this music, and Johnny Harris, Richard Harris's brother. Um, oh, Dermot. Our Dermot, sorry, yeah. be, be He's in London. Yeah. And it, what age are you at this stage? Nineteen. Now, at nineteen, I was kind of beginning to tie my laces. At nineteen, you were offered. Like, tell us the story of, yeah. of, of London. No, it's amazing. I, what happened was that I wrote this piece of instrumental music yes. and recorded it. Uh, in at home right. um, with uh, Peter Hearn, a friend of mine, playing the flute and piano. And that was it. And um, there was a guy from who he was originally from San Diego called Michael Mahoney. And he, he came to Limerick in the early 60s and he was like a big figure around the town. And everyone knew he was going to go on and do something else. And sure enough, he did. He ended up being the head of press at CBS Records in London. And I used to send him tapes of songs of mine. Of course. That, uh, you know, and say, look, if you get a chance, you know, play these to somebody and if you meet somebody. So he actually took the tape of this song into, of the instrumental piece, into Dermot Harris, who was Richard's brother. And uh, Dermot said, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll listen to it now in a while and get back to you. So after about two days, Michael Mahoney, who was actually a very, quite a very forceful person, rang back. And he said, listen, uh, did you listen to that track? And he said, uh, I haven't really had a chance. And he said, well, look, it doesn't really matter because we've just got a big offer from RCA uh, for the piece. And by the time he got over to pick up the tape, Dermot had listened to it. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, I played this to Richard. He said, Richard wants it as the theme music for his new film, Bloomfield. Yes. So the next thing is I'm getting calls from Richard Harris. And uh, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. 19. And then the next thing was I'm with Niall Connery, who wrote the songs with me. We're in a plane going to I'd never been in a plane before and we're being flown to London uh, to meet with uh, Johnny Harris, who was actually the uh, Shirley Bassey's arranger. Ah, that's who. Yeah, yeah that was who the Johnny, Johnny was, was yeah. the Johnny Harris and uh, no relation to the other Harrises. And um, <clears throat> he actually ended up, I think, working with Elvis Presley. Um, but uh, Anyway, we went to London and suddenly I was there in the middle of 60s London, um, wow. you know, and going to parties and Christine Keeler was at a party I was at. I mean, this was like really... No a, pictures we have to worry about, no, I think. No, 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 no nothing. No. Uh, and um, Phil Coulter was there, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, and Phil. The, and the Bee Gees. Phil, yeah. at that time. You, this is what, 60... Yeah, he would have had... He, well, his office was in the same building as Harris. So would Sandy Shaw have happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Puppet and would. String had won yeah. and he had congratulations to come. Yeah. So like, look at that period. Yeah, and did he do My Boy? Yes. Did my, my Boy... My Boy, which Elvis Presley recorded. Which Presley recorded. Of course, yeah. that's true, yeah. Of course, Richard Harris, yeah. Yeah, Richard Harris, Harris as yeah, well, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so suddenly at 19 years of age, uh, everything seemed to be happening and yeah. Harris came to Kilkee and Niall and I went down and we wrote songs with him in Kilkee and, you know, I, I began to see my life stretching out in front of me as kind of Rolls Royces and, of course, you know, of course. and... Uh, Loads of musical opportunities. Sure, not to be correct, of course, at the end. But uh, at the time, but as it turned out, uh, <laughs> Harris's film 
flopped. It was with Romy Schneider, himself and Romy Schneider. I mean, he had a good cast, um, a young guy called Kim Bur- Burfield. Mm. And um, the film flopped. And that was it. And that was more or less the end of my and brief. It just disappeared. It wasn't like they rang again. That, no. I find that amazing. Well, he, he, he had another film, I think, A Man, uh, a man in the Wilderness. I a think. Man, a man Called Horse. A Man Called Horse yeah. was before that, I think. Oh, OK, OK. Then he had A Man in the Wilderness and... Uh, and they actually sent me the script for that to see if I could write something for it, but it didn't happen. Yeah. And it was back to normality. But that must have been quite the moment. Uh, quite it, the moment. It was. It was. Uh, because, as you say, you 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 think suddenly this this whole world is opening up in front of me, mm. and what are the possibilities? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, when you, when did you decide? Because you became then this 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 great musician with other musicians that. You were, you were hired guns. You were you, yeah. you were taking. You would do recording sessions for for, for everybody and all manner yeah, of things. Exactly. Uh, and you'd work with the. With, uh, there's a great story which I'll come to in a moment uh, with yourself and Noel Keelan, who was such an incredible man. Wasn't he, he was. Oh, yeah. It's a lovely story in there. One of the things um, I always I've, I've said this to you before. I think one of the nicest pieces of music I know that you've ever written was the prologue for uh, Dancing at Lunsa. Mm. I've always said it's the most beautiful piece. Mm. Um, was that inspired by anything in particular, or is it just just, just by seeing footage of the film? Oh right, and okay, yeah, mm. yeah, and uh, and Madame Streep. It was uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, it was lovely to do actually. Um, uh, the fact that whole film film score yes. was very enjoyable to work on. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. score, but there's yeah. something about that prologue. The opening, yeah. And we've just, we just we play it on, on regularly. I know we we send you two and six, but anyway, this is the prologue from Dancing at Lunas, uh, uh, which is yourself. Um, was this the orchestra that you found at the Irish Film Orchestra? Yes, it was. It was. Okay, yeah. Yeah. this is it now. Here we go.
Um, I'm sorry, but it's just so gorgeous. I, I will put that with a couple of my favourites from from um, Ennio Morricone pieces that just hit me, and that's one of them. It's gorgeous. Mm. So mm. just just to say it again, I know. Um, yeah, Trent Studios. You're you're doing all these sessions. You're a session musician. You're doing all this stuff, and you're writing as well. But you came in with the concert orchestra, the great concert orchestra, who are literally across the corridor from us this very day, and uh, you were doing a piece with Noel Keelan, The Parting Glass. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, that's right. That's a fabulous story from coming in. <laughs> yeah. Are you coming in? Sorry. Yeah, well, it was interesting because it was, you know, I learned so much uh, courtesy of RTE doing so much music programming. There was a lot of employment for guys like me who were not employed by the station, but who did occasional work. Yeah. And sometimes a lot of occasional work. And, and um we learnt a lot. I mean, I learnt because um, I didn't study music uh, in college, as, as you know. Uh, so I, I picked up, I, I had the, the glorious position of being able to work and also to learn while working. And to, you know, if I wrote a small arrangement for, let's say, brass and rhythm section, I could hear it, you know, yeah. within a day or two of having written it by professional musicians. I mean, it was really, when I think about it it's afterwards, it was, yeah. I mean, so I've been around music education uh, in the interim, you know, as I got older. And, uh, you know, it's very rare that you get that opportunity. Yes, and and yeah. uh, it was it was fantastic. But I remember bringing one of my first arrangements into uh, Noel Keelan and Noel was and you knew him, Marty. He yeah. was such a, a, a lovely, benign figure. Correct. And and really and a, a great guy. When you saw him on the stand, you kind of breathed easily. Yeah. But I brought in this new arrangement that I did at the parting glass. And uh, so Noel puts the uh, the music up on the stand and he says, OK, uh, young Mr. Whelan here has uh, brought in a chart for us for the parting glass. He said, it starts with a harp and uh, and piano. So off we go. And he counted it in and off they went. And I'm sort of relaxing in. And next minute at the back of the orchestra, this enormous explosion of brass and the trumpets. We all look around and the trumpets are they've got red face, purple face. And, re, and uh, this, I said, he looked at me and he said, I think we might have meant that down the octave, Dad, did we? <laughs> and I said, mm, I think so, Noel. Yeah. You know, there was a case of learning on the, learning right. while working. But not berated. No. You were told, oh, oh yeah. no, that would have been... Yeah. Uh, meant to be did something. I ever make that mistake again? No. No. You know, it was no, but no, but it was a kindness. It was, it was the it was, kindness it was of how him. you did it. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, because you could have been frightened off. Yeah. And you weren't, why would you be on that basis that he operated away? Yeah, that's it. why, you know, films like Whiplash, I don't know if you ever saw that, but it was a, the, the drumming a, thing. The drumming thing. Yeah. And this notion that, you know, you can beat a musician into sort of mm. subservience and be a great musician, that's nonsense. It is, yeah. It is you know, nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. I was really angry watching that film, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so too. I was yeah. um, as a very poor drummer. Must be. Of course, you're a drummer too. You're <laughs> yes. a drummer too. Cause, yes. And there's a picture yeah. to prove it. Yeah. Well, you're sitting behind the drums. That doesn't yeah. make you a drummer, does it? <laughs> but, That's uh, true of many people. Uh, it's true of many people. <laughs> yeah. um, we talk about Eurovision. What are the th- there's a great old song, um, and I always remember the Swarbricks when I was a young man because uh, I, 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 yeah, we wouldn't like you wouldn't like everything, and and the Swarbricks came out, and I always thought uh, Jimmy and the brother, Jimmy and his brother, 
Jimmy and his brother, the Sawbricks. Oh, uh, anyway, yeah. um, th- th- I always thought they were something. There was something very special about the Br- Sawbricks. Yeah. Uh, and you were involved with um, "It's Nice to Be in Love Again," which was oh, that was the Sawbricks plus Swarbrick's two. Sawbricks plus two, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I thought that was that was. I always thought it was a great song. Um, did you arrange it? Yeah, I uh, did. You see, you see. I did. So, so yeah. the fellow said. So you that, that was that the beginning of your Eurovision. It was the first of the Eurovision arrangements that that I did. That you that, did, that, yeah. That actually went on to represent us. Yeah, it was a great song. And it was, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was um, the two Swarbrick boys and uh, Nicola Kerr yes. and Alma Carroll. That was the Swarbricks plus two, and we went to London. I remember for it, and. Uh, I, I to, to London to, to, to compete. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Oh yeah, that was the year Abbott one, was it? Was it? Was yeah. it seventy four? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Abbott. There you go. Yeah. It's like um, a quiz. Yes, okay. <laughs> and uh, uh and yeah, and the I, I just remember the we were all billeted away from the venue. But when I say all, I mean the Irish and the Israelis. Security. Yeah, security. It was really tight at the time. There was yeah. a lot of kind of nervousness about Still the same with the Israelis. Yeah, and the hotel, as you know, they're they're always in a separate place. Separate place, yeah. (sighs) Um, Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was my first, and uh, the the Swarbys were great to work with, and um, yeah. Uh, then I went on and did a few more. Well, you did more than a few more. Uh, and and I, I, again, I'm not sure that people would, would necessarily know of your... Well, they know your relationship, your friendship with Shay, God rest him, with Shay Healy. Yeah. Um, but when What's Another Year came out, you arranged it, you produced it, yeah. and you orchestrated it. Yeah. So you were, you were all over it, as a fellow said, like a rash. That was a very, that was, that was a very monumental moment in terms of Eurovision. Uh, it was. I remember Jim O'Neill did the first demo, and then I listened to that, and I said to Shay, you know, I think, you know, the structure of the song is such that um, it doesn't really have a chorus, you know? Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting in that way. Uh, but it, uh, I suggested that it needed something in the middle to lift it and then and then come back to it again just yeah. from the point of view of the dramatic performance and I had been working with a sax player called Colin Tully and uh, Shea was all supportive yeah yeah so, so I wrote the introduction for the thing and then the arrangement and then put the sax solo in the middle of it and Johnny of course was phenomenal his vocal performance and the two of them looked great on the stage you know Johnny yes, and that's the right. white and that's then right. he up at the back with the sax Johnny kept the white of course he, he did when, when he, when he did he was a great man for the, for the white yeah. which is which is a hard colour to wear no matter yes. what age you are <laughs> but Johnny kept the white on because um because you also were involved in Hold Me Now. Well, Terminal 3 as well, which is written yeah. by Johnny. I just met Linda, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She's, yeah. she's yeah. outside. But, uh, and Hold Me Now was yeah. also your baby yeah. when it came. Johnny's, Johnny wrote the song and you arranged and produced and put that together yeah. as well. Uh, that was my first Eurovision. Uh, but the, the lovely Ian McGarry. Um, I was I commentated that year when Johnny won. That was your first one? My first one. And really? I, have, wow. I, have, I have made sure that we haven't had a scratch of a win since. <laughs> every year, every year we lose. And that year, I was the first one I ever did and Johnny won in Brussels. Well, you know, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because uh, when I think back to those years of the Eurovision, when I was kind of fairly heavily involved, the first thing, you remember Tom McGrath. Of course. Yeah. And the first thing was to choose the song. The song was the first thing. And then you chose a singer. And then you chose an arranger. And everybody, and there was a rule at that time that everybody had, all of those people had to be Irish. 
So, you know, it was a good stimulus for local talent. Yes, indeed. Um, and an opportunity for local talent. But, um, you know, that way of doing it, song first, that was the most important thing. If the song stood up, then you found the singer to sing it. Nowadays, everything is manufactured you know, from a, you know, you find a group, and you, you know, yeah. the whole. The song yeah. is still the song is still sent, of course, first. That's yeah. that's still that's still the beginning. But I just, but then, yeah, then you try to find the artist. Where do you go from there? Of course, it's very frustrating, I think, from an Irish point of view, because quite often we send fairly decent songs, and you get blooming nowhere, and that's that's worrying. But mm. then you must remember that the Eurovision that we're talking about had how many countries in it? 16, 18, 22? Yeah, I think there's forty four countries yeah, in it yeah. now. So if you can imagine that's why it's on for t- two nights yeah. so like it's 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 very big in terms of I think of in 94 which is the year that we did uh, Eurovision yeah um, did Riverdance, Riverdance. Um, I think that was the first year that there was a big influx of, of yeah. internationals. Yeah. Yeah. We've two semi-finals and a final. Yeah. So it's an enormous event. It is. Yeah. So you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to break through that as a little island nation mm. is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Either. Anyway, that's yeah. that's another day's work. Um, so will we go with what's another year, or will we go with uh, Hold Me Now? Um, uh, well, as we've talked about saxes and yeah, yeah stuff. Maybe. So it's what's another year? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Next, thanks for that. Uh, and let's remember the lovely Shay Healy. Yeah. As we do. This is what's another year. What's another year for someone who's lost everything that he owns? What's another year for someone who's getting used to being alone? I've been crying such a long time with such a lot of
but I had to for me because it's my favourite. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things uh, in, the, in the book I was fascinated was uh, you talk about alcohol. You talk about um, mm. that and, and the ease with which when you're, when you're going well, as the fellow said, um, you can kind of find yourself going, hang on a second, am I drinking too much? Am I having too much of a good time? Um, it got in the way, didn't it? It did. It got in the way uh, occasionally. I mean, in my early uh, career, you know, I, you know, there was a lot of tolerance of yes of alcohol. Yes. Uh, and um, you know, if you if you came into a session, you know, after having you know a good few the previous night, it, no, no, nobody passed a remark. Um, it did creep up on me, and I found that uh, s- you know what seemed like. Uh, of course, I didn't believe it at the start, and nobody does. I didn't accept it, but alcohol had suddenly, to me, started to take a position in my life that was misshapen, and a lot of my relationships around family and uh, otherwise were, you know, were 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 thrown into chaos by that, and uh, it took me quite a while to accept that. Um, and I didn't do it on my own. I, 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 I was helped. Um, and that's often hard to, you know, for somebody who finds that alcohol is, you know, they notice themselves. I, I read something by somebody recently that were talking about how they were, you know, they were going to start controlling their alcohol. And, and there is a saying that once you start controlling your alcohol, it's controlling you. And, um, you know, yeah, it's it's yeah. an interesting notion that. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I did, uh, I've, uh, it, it did start to invade my life in an unwelcome way, even though I loved so much of what surrounded it. The storytelling, you know, the the fun, the you know, the laughs that we would have as musicians. The lack of inhibition. Uh, yeah, All exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but there were things that I wasn't proud of as as well. Yeah. So were you, yeah. Messy? you were probably you were you were messy, were you sometimes? Uh, yeah, I was I was, you know, I'd be, I didn't turn up for some uh, yeah. family thing. Yeah. Oh, that's, and then, oh, that's uh, right. You didn't yeah, turn up. Yes, and then, and, yeah. you know, it was a confirmation or something. Wasn't yeah, it? it was. I it missed was that. And my, yeah. my, my, you know, my wife was making excuses no. that I had a cold and. Yeah, no, that's, that kind of yeah no, that's not good. So, no, it isn't good. Um, but, you know, it, it does happen and it happens. You know, I, there was a great woman who I knew in my early days of kind of grappling with alcohol. And she she used to say, you know, all you have to do, you know, people were talking about I'm drinking because I'm, you know, my work isn't going well or because yeah. my wife's annoying me or, yeah. you know, whatever. And she used to say, you're drinking because you're an alcoholic. The rest is just scenery. And, you know, it, is, a, it yeah. is an interesting point. She used to say that all you have to do to develop the habit is to just keep drinking. Yes. And that's so true of so many people. Now, it's not true completely. But it is, it is worth noting that, you know, in a culture where, you know, we do advertise it a lot. We so much of our music and our sport and everything is... is uh, Linked. Yeah, to alcohol. Did you stop? Did you I did. Stop? I stopped... I don't think I would have written The Seville Suite or The Spirit of Mayo or no, Riverdance had no. I been drinking. I've been talking about it. I would, I would have been good to talk about it. Yes, yeah. one day I will do that. Yeah, I understand. But, yeah. but, um, but have, is it gone? What? Is it gone? It's gone now, yeah. Yeah, gone. Yeah, but it was still a fight because after, after, you know, I did relapse. I, I didn't drink for maybe five years and then relapsed. 
And then I had a kind of patchy relationship with it. Yeah. But I haven't had a drink in a long time Good now. Man. Good man. And I miss it. You know, there's no point so. in saying now you miss I miss the wine and the fun yeah. and all that. But I I also don't miss the hangovers and I don't miss the apologies and uh. I don't miss you know, the the guilt. And the clear ahead every morning. Yeah, exactly. Which is a great thing to yeah. have. Well done yeah. you, well done you. I hope you didn't mind me bringing it up, but it's... No, it's in the book. It's an interesting part in the book and I... I don't I, think I could tell my story without... Without saying it, Acknowledging yeah. that. Yeah. No, um, I think it's important. And for family too. Yeah. That you... To, to overcome that is is a, a great success story. And, well, when I when it? I wrote the book, I went to my children and I and to the family yeah. and I said, look, this is what I've written about it. Are you comfortable with it? And if any of them had said, no, Dad, we prefer if you didn't talk about that, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But, but because they're because they were first and foremost of the affected. Of course. Um, so so they said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And so I did. Good for you. Good for you. Um, I have to. Uh, 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 we haven't mentioned Riverdance at all, isn't it, Gas? Not only the name of the book. Um, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to mention uh, to you today, we're both big fans of Jimmy Webb's. Yeah. Um, he wrote Sandy Cove. Was he staying with you at the time when he wrote Sandy Cove? No, not when he wrote Was that. He went, no, because I love the fact that he wrote a song called Sandy Cove. And you, you know, yeah. the link. Uh, you had him over for the television show, of course, when you were on the television with, uh, uh, that was Ian McGarry. With Ian McGarry, with yeah. Ian McGarry. Directed that, yeah. Correct. And, um, as, and his involvement, of course, in Eurovision is legendary as well. Uh, you, uh, but Jimmy Webb is, is, to me, one of the greatest songwriters that's ever So lived. he is. Isn't he? Yeah. Um, so, it does, you know, there's a whole book written about Wichita Lineman. Yes, I have it. You have it? Yeah. Have you read it? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. great, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> I know, it's yeah. amazing. It's how ridiculous. You write a book I know, about one song. About a song. And how it came about. I yeah. mean, extraordinary. It's an, it's an extraordinary book. And his yeah. two books are wonderful as well. Yeah. Uh, he is, Particularly he is, the second one. Yes. That's the cake in the rain, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm mad about him. Yeah. And every time he comes here, I go and see him and try and get him to come in and be with us. Uh, I think my daughter was there was she down in the dressing room when you were in to see him. Go Yeah, she had been in just ahead of you. Oh, for heaven's sake. Yeah. Yeah. He's this towering genius. Yeah, yeah he's, he's really great. And he really is. But it's amazing when you think of how Wichita Lineman, how, in the random way that Rich, Rich, yeah. Wichita Lineman came, That's came right. about. That's right. But the he, genius came oh, through. Yeah. Oh, he's an yeah. absolute genius and, yeah. and his ability with words. Um, you talk about the spirit of Mayo and um, coming to Riverdance and all of that. Um, how it all suddenly just seemed to come together, the Riverdance idea and, I, and we discussed something before which uh, time dance which yeah. is Blankstein which you were involved in and, and that was a Eurovision piece of music as well mm-hmm. and I listen to time dance and I hear bits of river dance and I hear bits because yeah. it naturally but uh, the whole uh, uh, spirit of Mayo story um, can you give us encapsulate that just to, to give us a sense of because one thing led to another led to another and people found themselves in the company of other people and it just it just suddenly happened yeah it's an amazing story it, well it is in that, you know, for a lot of people, ourselves included, that were involved, like Riverdance was an explosive night on the Eurovision. Oh, yes. You know, we all remember that. Um, but there's also the story that led up to it. And like everything, you know, nothing happens without a prequel. And and um, for me, um, uh, it was a decision made in the late 80s that I was going to stop doing all of the things I was doing to survive, by the way, you know, all the because th- it was tough. The 80s was tough and um, that I was going to stop doing that and just concentrate on my writing. 
And uh, and I did. I went to America and I wrote the music for a Leon Uris production of Trinity. And before that, um, I I wrote the Seville Suite, uh, and that hadn't had a performance yet. I came back from America and then it was performed. And the Seville Suite had Davis Spillane and Martin O'Connor, right, Mel Mercier, yes. and a, a Spanish a group of musicians called Mia Dairo. Uh, so that. And at that Seville Suite concert, my brother-in-law, who worked for uh, Mayo Tourism, said to me, you know, next year we're going to celebrate the Mayo 5000. Uh, would you would you be interested in writing something for it? And so I came up with this Mayo 5000 suite, which took me around Mayo for researching, going around meeting choirs and uh, everything in Mayo. And uh, I... I I, I got John McCulligan in to direct it for for television, television yeah. and his company, Tyrone Productions, to produce it. And uh, that led to um, Moya turning up at the Eurovision, at the, sorry, at the Mayo concert and and seeing all of the elements. Anuna, who I had in it, the drummers that I had in it, uh, the orchestra, the piper, everything. And also... Th- on the same concert to celebrate Mayo because they had Mayo background was Michael Flatley and Jean Butler dancing separately. So all the elements of Riverdance appeared in Mayo 5000. And the following December, Moya rang me and asked me to come and meet her. Told me that she had been uh, appointed the producer of the next year's Eurovision. And would I be interested in writing a piece for the centrepiece and actually for the opening, because uh, Machnus were involved in the opening. And uh, so... We discussed what it would be. And she said, you know, a lot of the elements that were there in Mayo 5000 
you know, the drumming, all of that. Would you consider bringing those into it? And I did. And, and I, she, the one big clue she gave me was she said, you know, we're going to put it on the river. We're going to we're going to uh, the, the whole thing will be done at the Point Theatre by the river. So I said, well, and she said, I've, I've instructed the set designers to use the motif of the river. And I said, well, then we'll use the river as the inspiration for the music. And that's what happened. And so I wrote the the last thing I wrote was the intro, which was the Anuna piece. Yes. And uh, and then we had the drummers and we had Flatley and we had Butler. And there it was. Um, and it was directed by Pat Cowap. He yes. was the director from yeah. here in RT. Right. And... Um, it's so astonishing how they all came it, together. It is amazing how it came together. Yeah. And the one thing that struck me at the time was, you know, because Eurovision can sometimes, there's something, the centerpiece can sometimes just kind of fly past you. And um, and it's the songs you're interested in. Uh, I, I decided that I would try to make a record of it. So I went around the record industry and uh, great interest, of course. Uh, oh, they were Enormous. beside themselves. <laughs> they were, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they said, oh, Bill. <laughs> so it's a seven minute piece of uh, music, Irish music, Irish sounding music for dance, seven minutes long with the choir and stuff. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, call us another day when you have something that we might sell. Surely. So uh, I, I went around the music industry. There was, there was no interest in it whatsoever. Uh, and then I remembered something that uh, an insurance company who I did a thing for in the National Concert Hall years previously said to me, if you ever have anything of interest, give us a ring. So I rang them up and I said, look, I have this piece of music which is going to be in the centre of Eurovision and um, it'll be going out to like 300 million, 400 million viewers. And um, <clears throat> I said, what about, I'm looking, I said, I would like to make a record of it, but I can't interest the record industry. Uh, nor indeed, may I say, in these hallowed halls, RTE, nobody was interested in making a record of it. Uh, so I asked them, uh, would they sponsor it? And they said, well, what's it like? And I said, well, you know, so I sent them over a demo. This is the most bizarre part of it. Yeah. Here am I sending a demo, my home demo of Riverdance <laughs> over to an insurance company. Looking for a few bob. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from an insurance it's company. Just, the yeah. most conservative, That's fiscally right, conservative yeah. group of people in the That's world. True. Yeah. And they rang up the next day and they said, listen, we listened to that. That's kind of interesting. Um, a guy called Damien O'Neill, he said, that's interesting. He said, you know, could we put a little logo for Riverdance on, on the, it? And, oh. and I said, you could put it anywhere you want. And so they gave me the money to make the record. And we made the record. And as a result, it went straight into number one. Uh, and it was there for 18 weeks. And it kept the whole notion of Riverdance alive. People had something to play. Yes, yes. That they could play on radio. Terry Wogan picked it up in the UK. It entered the British charts. It was, uh, and it just, it just was so great to have it at the end. Yes, and um, it existed before the piece on 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 stage. Yeah, and that's the point that yeah. we we all had it. Yeah, exactly. It's an incredible story, isn't it? How 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 it all came together in the end. Yeah, and I, I, I was there that night, and we all just exploded uh, as everyone did and it has become the phenomenon that it is and then of course it went on to be a show which is uh, Your Baby with uh, Moya and with John uh, and it has now travelled the world and you presumably uh, need never leave the bed again uh, do, you, do, you, do you look at it now as like you couldn't have dreamt it at 19 could you when you were 
hoping to God that oh, you might get something into a movie. And that's what I hope the, bo- the book is called The Road to Riverdance. Exactly. Because everything that's in the book led you know, to my development as a as a musician and then as a as a but the, ranger. But the level, Bill, the level. You couldn't have imagined the level. Not at all. No. No. I mean and and listen, Marty, nobody could have imagined the level on the on the pre on the night before the Eurovision. Yes. Nobody could have imagined what it was going to what the reaction was going to be. Yes. It took everybody by surprise. Yeah. And um I mean I think we all remember the the night and when the entire audience was on its feet in the days when standing ovations were rare yeah. and, and waving flags and there it was and suddenly, suddenly it had become something. Yeah. And I remember there was, a, there was a pub in Limerick that used to, at the Angelus, when the Angelus came on at six o'clock, uh, and they would stick in a, a, a video cassette of it and play it. Of Riverdance. <laughs> for months <laughs> after it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was extraordinary yeah. in that nobody expected it. And so then there was a kind of scrabble to turn it into, to take what was obviously an enormous public interest in the dance and the music and, and turn that into a, a two hour show. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing to think there's never been a, an interval like an interval piece like it before or since at the Eurovision. And we've won the Eurovision more than anybody else. Like for a little country, musically, it says an awful lot about us and what can be achieved and about you. And you're a huge involvement with Eurovision. Uh, uh, you've travelled the world with this. Um, you were telling me earlier on you were in the Dubai. Dubai, Dubai. yeah. The- Unbelievable. That that it, it has brought it has brought that and and it's Irish music brought to the world. Well, that was the big the the amazing thing about it was that um, nobody expected uh, the I thought that we would go to London and play to the Irish audiences in England. Yeah, that'll be it. And then we'd be home then. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, never thought you'd be in Radio City with your name and lights. Exactly. Astonishing. I, I never thought that we would be in China. Yes. Yeah. In Japan, you know, totally. Different cultures to our own. That's right. And uh, I mean, the level of, of interest in Riverdance in China was phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Because I remember the chieftains going over to China yeah. all those years oh, ago. Listen, wherever that? you've been in the world, Paddy Maloney was there well, before. That's, you. I'm afraid that. I knew yeah. everybody who was there as well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. uh, listen, I, I'm, you're in uh, O'Mahony's bookshop. Um, on when is that? Do you know when that is? 29th, I think. 29th. And you're at in uh, the, the Dublin Book. Fair. fair, yeah, the Dublin the, Book Fair on, on the twelfth of November. Yes, that's right. And you'll be you'll be signing a few, will you? Yeah, and we're actually going to do a performance at the Dublin Book Fair. Zoe Conway is going to and John. Oh, lovely! Are going to come and we have a bit of music, and I'm having a conversation with uh, Fiach Nobrain on. Lovely. And um, and then we're. We're, I'll do one or two readings from the book. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Bill, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to, me, to to sit with you anyway. But the story is wonderful. And I read it, as I said to Mrs. Whelan, <coughs> my, my current wife, not your wife, yeah. I said to my wife, I'm going to bed with Bill Whelan now. You don't, you don't mind. <laughs> and that's how I did it. And I went right through it, the road to Riverdance, and I loved it a bit. It's a great read. Thank you. Uh, it's yeah. a heck of a story. <laughs> it's fantastic. We have to finish, obviously, with uh, with Riverdance. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for joining us today. It's been yeah. great. I really enjoyed uh, thank it. Thank you, Marty. Uh, you know, I mean, the thing about the book, I suppose, is I, I wrote up to the first night in London of Riverdance. And life changed so much after that. Yes. That I didn't write the, that part. I didn't write all the sort of glitzy bits that went on after that. But may I may do. It's, but it's a different story. This is a story about the journey. 
Um, and the, if there's another story in me, it'll be about what happened after. That sounds like a sequel to me. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. 